First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from our God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God our Father. One quick thing before we get started this morning, uh, I can officially say we are both thankful to be here. Lacey and I have cherished our time uh, uh, visiting for her. I've been here for a little bit over a month now, but now officially we are both here. We are getting settled. We have lots of boxes and stuff to unpack, but it is such a blessing to be here. Thank you for all your notes, texts, uh, cards, calls, and everything from last week uh, in celebrating our marriage. Uh, Truly, we do love uh, this congregation so much already, and uh, we are excited uh, now to be here fully and uh, uh, without uh, distraction far away. Now she's close by, so a lot easier uh, for me. Um, Very blessed to be a part of this congregation, and I want to say thank you. The phrase trial by fire comes to mind. And it's actually kind of one of those phrases that are fun to to try to explain to somebody who doesn't know what trial by fire means. Because the way we explain it, you just give another idiom. It means to test your metal. And if you don't understand what metal means, you might be asking, well, what what do you mean by metal? I'm not made of metal. And then you say, "Well, well, what are you made of? Trial by fire, test your metal, what are you made of? It all means the same basic idea of can you make it when life gets rough? Can you make it when things get difficult? Are you going to be able to overcome, to see it through, to get through whatever it is that you might be going through? And like most idioms, it does come from an actual thing that took place Uh, This one in the Middle Ages, uh, just uh, for you history folks, um, from the little bit of research I did by Googling, so there's, you know, however you might treat the the, the veracity of of what I'm about to say, the trial by fire was uh, related to all the other trials, there was trial by water, there was trial uh, by uh, nature, there was various trials that people would do to see if someone was guilty, if they couldn't figure out a verdict during the Middle Ages. And the trial by fire, guess what it was? If God intervened while they were set on fire or passed through the fire, if they lived, then they were not guilty. So uh, trial by fire. If you lived by going through fire or surviving in fire for a little bit of time, there's trial by water where you would have to put your hand down in a bucket of boiling water and get back up. And if uh, your hand was okay in the next couple days, then obviously you were uh, not guilty. Uh, Again, from the Middle Ages, but trial by fire. And when you think about these uh, Christians in Thessalonica, that's really what their faith was like. See, in Acts chapter 17, uh, it it really does begin in a good place. Acts chapter 17, uh, 
Uh, Verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Notice it begins in a good place, in a synagogue. There is a group of men that are meeting, that are teaching the Old Testament, and they understand God's law, or you hope that they would, and Paul and Silas are teaching. And you see, for three Sabbaths, it began in a good place, and it spread just as the gospel often does. Notice verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and uh, not a few of the leading women. It began in a good place. It was quick. With just three weeks, it began uh, uh, in in this very quick amount of time where they taught, taught for three Saturdays in the synagogue. And it spread as the gospel often does. And unfortunately, it was a short-lived piece. You see verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before uh, the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city uh, and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest. They let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. You have this three-week excursion in Thessalonica where the church is established. And there is such an uproar that are caused by people who are jealous of losing their following, jealous of the gospel, and ultimately jealous of the Lord causing such a panic and widespread malice that, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, bringing people that were worthless fellows of the rabble to put the city in an uproar. But despite their best efforts to stamp out this congregation, the Lord's church is established in Thessalonica in three weeks. And it survived. Despite its infancy, And the faith of these brethren spread far and wide. You know, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Paul and Silas and and his co-workers didn't have to say anything about the faith of the Thessalonians because it was spreading far and wide. What an encouraging passage to read. What an encouraging thing to read to see how this place started off with threats of being dragged into prison. And, and, And this intense persecution caused Paul and Silas to have to leave. And just to kind of give you a time frame of what's going on here, just, a, just it seems like a few weeks, maybe a couple months later, Paul is so fearful of these new Christians going back into the world and turning away from the gospel because of persecution, because of Satan's tactics, because of all of the danger that they are in, that he sends Timothy to them. 
And Timothy comes back with such a glowing report that he has to write 1 Thessalonians about how encouraged he is to see that they are sticking it out. Timothy would come back and he would tell Paul that although they are going through some, some, some persecution, some really difficult times and challenges, that they're hanging in there. And what we're going to do this morning, we're, we're going to have a brief walk through 1 Thessalonians and see what does it actually mean to, to survive and to thrive. To survive and to thrive in faith and love and hope. And the reason that you have those three, faith and love and hope, is because that's really what the books of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are all about. It's all centered around God and the fact that Jesus is going to return. And it's based in faith and love and hope. Notice verse 2 of chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you before our God and, your, uh, and Father. Your, notice this, work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Now jump to the end of the chapter. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God, work of faith, from idols to serve, labor of love, the living God, living and true God, and to wait, here's your steadfastness of hope, for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. A faith, a hope, and a love that survives and thrives, number one, focuses on God. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Faith, hope, and love. Thessalonica was no stranger to, to uh, religious cults and idols and all these different practices. And then to suddenly stop going to all of these cult services and going to all of these idols and paying homage to, to Caesar. And by the way, this was a place that had some good tax exemptions. This was a place that had it good if Caesar's the one in charge. And now they're proclaiming another king. Their way of life is being threatened. And to stop going to all of these social events and to stop being a part of what was normal in life just the week or two before, that is an incredibly public demonstration of loyalty to God. They turned to God from idols, but they had a labor of love to serve the living and true God. You think about why their faith spread throughout Macedonia and even further. It's because they loved the brethren. It's because they loved God. It's because their focus was set on Him. And they had a steadfastness of hope to wait for His Son from heaven. And by the way, very quickly, just look at a few passages through 1 Thessalonians. Notice we just read at the end of chapter 1, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Keep that idea in mind. Notice chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? 
Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Notice chapter 3 in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice chapter 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that, they may, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord. Chapter 1 ends with the coming of the Lord. Chapter 2 ends with the coming of the Lord. Chapter 3 ends with the coming of the Lord. Chapter 4 ends with the coming of the Lord. Goes into chapter 5 about that day that is coming. But guess how chapter 5 ends. In verse 23, he begins to end the book now. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He is coming back. Brothers, pray for us. Greet the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Every end of the chapter in 1 Thessalonians, the Lord is returning. Hope. But it really is about faith, love, and hope. Turn over one page in your Bibles and look at 2 Thessalonians. We're not in here today, but just to kind of, you know, prove the point a little bit further. Verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we had always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast in you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering, since indeed God considered it, uh, considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Remember chapter 1? How they're waiting for his son from heaven to deliver us from the wrath to come. Notice this, and to grant relief, chapter 1 and verse 7 now of, of 2 Thessalonians, to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Faith and hope and love. We could do this all morning if you want to keep going through First and Second Thessalonians. It's about faith and hope and love and a faith and hope and love that survives and thrives. It focuses on God. It's about His return. It's about His glory. It's about seeing Him. It's about glorifying Him. There is something incredibly important about Jesus returning in the Thessalonian Christians having set their faith in God, their love set on God, and their hope resting in the arms of God. A faith, love, and hope that survives and thrives focuses on God. It is He who saves. It is He who delivers. It is He who redeems. It is He who reigns. But a faith and a love and a hope that survives and thrives also endures persecution. 
You know, we've already talked a little bit about what they endured with Jason being dragged in the courts and, and, and the threats of fines and everything like that, and they have to pay a fine just, just to be able to be released, and then they have to escape at night. And in fact, if you keep reading, the uh, Thessalon- Thessalonian Jews would follow Paul and Silas to Berea and harass them there also. You know, they were more noble than those uh, of Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind. But they were harassed and they had to keep fleeing because these people were attacking them. There was obviously a hope, though, that the persecution would die down once Paul and Silas left. But Paul, as he explains... Uh, in chapter 3, therefore, verse 1, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the, your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Notice what Paul says. You yourselves know that we are destined for affliction. Verse 4, for when you were, we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Notice how the tempter is tempting through persecution, through distress. And in fact, in verse 13 of chapter 2, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last." Notice this, Paul is so concerned about the persecution that they are going through that he sends Timothy back. And Timothy comes back with this report that encourages him, verse 6, but now, chapter 3, that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Notice he's comforted. He's comforted. He's thankful But I want you to think about the time frame that we mentioned. In just three weeks, the church is established and they have to leave. Now, it says every Sabbath, but but probably every day, because he talks about being a tent maker and not being any burden on them and everything like that. He's establishing the church in Thessalonica and he has to leave. This letter written the same year, just a, a few months at most, in fact, 2 Thessalonians, if you look at the timeline, probably a few weeks after 1 Thessalonians. But Timothy comes back with this report that, that they're doing well, they're struggling, but they're doing well, and Paul writes to encourage them and to lift them up. He talks about being a father in the gospel and a mother in the gospel and treating them as dear children. But when we think about persecution, it's, it's one of those words that to us, We understand, kind of like trial by fire, we know what it means, but nobody here when they say I'm going through a trial by fire, nobody in here thinks that they're going to, you know, potentially suffer death by what they're going through. 
But that's exactly what's going on here. And in fact, when you look at how Paul starts to end his letter, chapter 4, verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, and he talks to them. And then verse 13 of chapter 4, again, 13 and following, the most recognized passage in this book, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Who's he talking about? Brethren, he's not talking about the, the, the good old 80-year Christian who has been there for decades and he passed away peacefully in his sleep. He's not talking about people who have for years and years and years served Christ and finally it's the end of their life and they go peacefully surrounded by loved ones. He's not talking about people who were celebrated in the community. Why is he talking about those who have fallen asleep just a few weeks after he leaves? He's talking about persecution. And these Christians who just a few weeks ago heard that Jesus saves are seeing their loved ones put to death. What about them when he returns? What about the ones who've gone on before? Is it really worth it? And Paul says, absolutely. Do not grieve as others who have no hope. Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another with these words. A faith, a love, a hope that survives and thrives focuses on God, but a faith and a love and a hope that survives and thrives endures persecution. Because the end is worth it. Because the return of the Lord is worth it. Number three, a faith and a love and a hope that survives and thrives lives different from the rest of the world. The first 12 verses of chapter 4 emphasize this. Uh, the key word really is holiness. Holiness. Chapter 4 and verse 1, walk to please God and do it even more. Verse 2, God's will for you is sanctification. What does that mean? Verse 3, sanctification means abstaining from sexual immorality. Verse 4, sanctification means self-control and holiness and honor. Verse 5, sanctification means knowing God. Verse 6, sanctification means treating others as sanctified. Verse 7, sanctification means purity. And verse 8, sanctification has serious blessing and serious consequences. But notice the love that these brethren have. Verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Notice he says you have been taught by God to love one another. 
that your love abounds, that your love can continue to abound, and your love flows into work and service that really does silence the noise of the persecuting mob, verse 11 and 12. A faith, a love, a hope that survives and thrives lives different than the world. And finally, a faith and a hope and a love that survives and thrives works in readiness and in humility. Chapter 5 is really, that's, that's really what it's all about. There's, there's, in the first 10 verses, there are three, at least three contrasts. You have darkness and light. You have drunk and sober. And you have night and day. Darkness. You're not in darkness. Do not be in darkness. You are of the light. You are of the day. Darkness and light. Do not walk as those who uh, are drunk, but be sober, be vigilant. You are not of the night. You are of the day. But notice this. In this idea of being of the light, being sober, and being of the day, Verse 8 of chapter 5. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Notice this. Look at the preparation. You have the breastplate of faith and love. What is most widely seen is faith and love. And what defends such a large portion of us as Christians is faith and love. But it all centers on God. The helmet, the hope of salvation. What protects the vital. The hope of salvation. What we constantly think about. What is on our minds. And he says, so build one another up. And Paul closes in rapid succession, just just rapid fire, saying things like, respect the elders and esteem them highly. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all. Repay no one evil for evil. Seek the good of everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Uh, Give thanks in all circumstances. And on and on and on you go. It is God's will, he says. And the God of peace will sanctify you completely. A faith that survives, a love that thrives, a hope that endures, works in readiness and in humility. They are so well known to the brotherhood in such a short time that the brother from another town could say, oh yeah, the Thessalonian church, they loved me. They helped me. They served me. And even in the midst of persecution, they walked in humbleness and they walked waiting for the Lord. The faith that survives and thrives focuses on God. He is coming. A faith that survives and thrives, endures persecution. He is coming and it is worth it. 
a faith and a hope and a love that endures, that survives and thrives, lives a holy life. He is coming and he sanctifies you. A faith and a hope and a love that endures, that survives, that thrives, that moves forward, that carries on, that lasts, works in humility and readiness because he is coming. Brothers and sisters, we can be encouraged by the church in Thessalonica because even in the midst of intense persecution and the threat of death and what even seems to be death, in faith and love and hope, they endured. You know, that means we can too really simple application, but it means we can too. But our focus must be on God. And we must endure. And we must live different than the world. And we must patiently work in humility because he's coming. It really is the greatest message of all time. That God sent his son to die for us and to live for us so that we could live with him. Can we help you this morning to live with him? Can we help encourage you? Can we serve you? We want to help you endure. You know, those Thessalonian brethren meant a whole lot to each other because that's all they had to rely on. And the church, that institution, that body of Christ, we're here for you. Can we help you? If so, come forward as we stand and sing this song.